This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. I'm back in the hot seat. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Jeremy. What's going on, man? Glad to have you back. Jeremy oh, no. Jeremy was good, but gives me gives me a hard time. Jeremy's always a handful. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm sure Jeremy was a was a great personality to have on. Yeah, he is. He's a good guy. Anytime we go up to Denver, we'll have to have uh, Jeremy on the show. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. All right, let's see if I don't butcher the name. We've got Tani from Geochemica. What's going on? Hi. Good th- morning, guys. Yeah, I think, <laughs> good morning. I think he pronounced it right, didn't he? He did. Good. Oh, man. <laughs> So what, what kind of name is that? Supposedly it's Polynesian. Okay. Means by the sea. Okay. Okay. We all got unique names. I like it. It's better than Colin. I don't know what Colin means. It doesn't have any meaning. It's just good for getting mixed up with Colin. <laughs> <laughs> so you're with Geochemica. I am, yes. Okay. So what does is, what is Geochemica do? Ah, yes. So we're a uh, third-party consulting and testing company. We bridge the gap between the MP companies and their chemical suppliers or service companies and help them understand how to optimize the fluids that we're pumping down during fracks and then help create KPIs as to how do you improve those with ultimately improving the production in your well. Okay, awesome. So this is an area that I really don't have a lot of knowledge or expertise. So I mean, not that I have knowledge or expertise in anything that I do, but this specifically. <laughs> so I have a lot of questions for you guys. So tell us a little bit about your background. What, you know, we, we can start from, you know, point of what's your, what's your trade? Did you go to college and what led you up to this point? Sure. So I actually got my degree in biology and chemistry. Thought I'd be going into the medical field. Changed my mind. I was living here in Houston. And my first job was actually with a service company in their lab. And I really got exposed to oil field, the chemistry, everything behind the scenes. Because up to that point, I thought it was just engineers yeah. you know, running the whole show. And once I got into it, I fell in love with it. So I started on the frac chemical side. I've always wanted to learn, okay, big picture. What's, what am I doing? How does that translate to the ultimate goal? And so from there, I began to transition, work for different chemical companies, did lab then transition to technical sales. So I got to spend more time in the field learning how the operations were taking place. And from there, transitioned 100% into sales. You know, got to see that side of the world and realized there were a lot of challenges sometimes between, you know, what's communicated from a lab perspective and what the field was seeing. And really, there was no good way to get information back and forth on that. And I had the opportunity to step out and do something on my own. And decided this was the best time, you know, do it now or regret it later. Yeah, absolutely. So is your family from Houston originally or what brought you to school here? Actually, uh, I grew up in Chicago. Chicago, okay. And I guess we got tired of the cold and decided to move down to warmer weather and I went to Sam Houston State. Okay, awesome. So when you came down here, I'm guessing you didn't have any previous exposure to oil and gas. You thought you'd be going into the medical field. How did you end up getting connected with the oilfield service sector? So honestly, I think it was just chance. 
you know, I got out of school, was trying to figure out what do I do now with a science degree and not going into med school and had my resume out, monster career builder at the time. And first call I got was entry level position in the lab. I said oil field service company. I knew nothing about it, but it was the first job <laughs> and I took it and, you know, it really opened my eyes to what oil field was. And obviously my perception of it, you know, was so far you know, remote away from what it actually was. Yeah, let's talk about your perception coming into it. She, <laughs> she probably had negative perception about oil and gas. I'm assuming like everybody does before they come into oil and gas. Is that kind of along the lines? To some degree, because honestly, I guess the only thing I had to go off of was what I'd seen on TV, which literally was you'd see, you know, videos of people, you know, drilling oil wells and oil just gushing out. <laughs> and you'd hear, okay, these companies are making all this money. You know, they're that's all they care about and you come to Texas and that's what you expect to see. And, you know, as I got into it, I realized, no, there's so much more that goes into that. There's not just the engineering, but the industries that it supports, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a really, it touches every other industry from the service, hotels, you know, restaurants. You know, what's funny is, you know, we were just talking before we cut the mics on and you're asking, you know, what kind of got us started doing the podcast. And that was a big part of it was shining a light on the oil and gas industry on what was happening, because a lot of people don't have, you know, it's, it's, I don't think that people's perspective would necessarily be the way it is towards oil and gas if they knew the real story of oil and gas. And you're 100 yeah. percent right. When people outside see it, it's, you know, gas being flared off, it's oil spills in the Gulf of Mexico, it's about every negative you aspect. Know, 100% of anything having to do with climate change is, you know, due to oil and gas, and, you yeah. know, so there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of negative public perception that you... Yeah, so that's a big against. driver for us, you yeah. know, putting out content was just so that people could see the good stories and the challenges that were happening in the industry and the solutions that were solving those challenges because there was no platform for that to happen, so maybe if we would have had this podcast back in the day she wouldn't have had that negative <laughs> perception of oil and gas well thankfully i got into it yeah, so yeah I've you learned just took the heart out yeah not that way <laughs> so help me explain or explain this a little bit to me so the the chemicals that mps are using for their frack jobs you know a lot of these i don't even know what types of you know acids and and, and things that we're using downhole but how are those affecting production? Is that something that you guys are, I mean, you guys are assigning KPIs to these, but is that something that you can track accurately? To some degree, yes, depending on what they're using. I think sometimes what we're finding is, particularly there's a big push now to recycle a lot of the water that's being produced, you know, be more environmentally friendly. Let's not put it back down in the ground. Let's find a way to reuse it. And sometimes the chemistry we're selecting can have negative effects in the rock itself. And that's been a challenge because there's not, you know, a lot of it relies on the chemical suppliers or service providers, but the EMPs don't always communicate, you know, all the parameters as to, you know, what's my water doing? Or they may not understand how we're testing it. And maybe the testing that's being done is not representative of what they're looking for or need. So is that from the EMP side, is that like a lack of understanding from, from the information that they need to provide to the chemical providers or is it just a miscommunication barrier between the two? I think it's a combination of both. To be honest, I think we on the EMP side really understand the engineering, but maybe the chemistry and the science behind those products is sometimes not 
fully understood or well communicated to them. And then on the other side, you know, you have a lot of uh, chemical companies and suppliers, and sometimes they're not really understanding you know, what the field is doing. You get a high-level exposure, and that's what I saw in the lab. We just get told, hey, this is what we need. You know, what do we have on the shelf right now? And mm-hmm. we may not do any testing. So you're kind of enabling a little bit of a feedback loop between, so the EMPs are giving feedback on the chemicals and stuff that they're using and how it's actually affecting say production or affecting the rock or something. And then the chemical provider is able to go back and refine or maybe suggest something differently. Correct. Yeah. We're sort of that middleman that's helping sort of decipher what the two companies are trying to do and kind of make sure the communication is transparent. Well, it's funny because like if you relate this to like digital technology or data, you know, we've very much seen this, that EMPs have a hard time talking to new tech. New tech has a hard time talking to oil companies. So there has to be those bridges in between to bridge the conversation between the two, someone that can understand both sides. Mm-hmm. So, so both sides are getting value out of that. So are you essentially working for both sides? Yes. Okay. Yep. We that actually started, we figured EMP obviously has the largest investment in that, mm-hmm. but we found that the companies, uh, the service companies and chemical companies are benefiting because now they're having more access to the right information ahead mm-hmm. of time rather mm-hmm. than you're being proactive rather than reactive when you're having an issue in the field. Do you think by giving this transparency or have you seen ENPs kind of holding some of the chemical providers to a little bit more of a higher standard? Yes. And okay. I, I think that's something that's been needed in the industry. They just weren't sure how to tackle it. And that's yeah. where we felt was our biggest fit is we can provide them unbiased testing that allows them to now begin to understand, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's where we need to make some improvements or work with our companies to Mm -hmm. set new standards. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into business for yourself? Let's talk a bit about your personal story from leaving your job at Oilfield Service Company. You saw a need in the market, obviously, you know, through your firsthand personal experience with your dealings. So how did you how did you make that decision to go out and how did you execute on that? Oh, yeah, that was a very tough decision to make, honestly. I think personal experience, I had some of these challenges where I had to try and help solve an issue because we hadn't understood all the details. And talking with my friend, uh, Kristen, she's actually the other owner of the company. We always kind of went back and forth. She's actually from the technology side. So Oldfield was new to her. And she'd always ask me, well, you always have to deal with all these problems. Why isn't there an easier way that you're not having to you know, run around on a weekend trying to find a solution? And until I was like, I think we can. You just need to find a way to do it. You know, I have my job and kind of like what I have right now. But, you know, I told her, I was like, if you want to start a business, you start it. I'll tell you how to start navigating it. And, you know, if we get this thing moving, then, you know, I'll jump in and I'll help you and we can scale it. And she got it going. You know, I was still iffy, you know, thinking, man, I, I have to give up my job, steady income take a chance on, hey, this may work, may not work. And I debated a lot. I mean, it took me, she'd been running it for about a year before I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, you know, a lot of my friends are also sort of gone to some startups. So it was seeing them and saying, look, you got to decide, you know, right now you have the time. Worst case, if you doesn't work out, you can still get a job, not a big loss. And you got to put 100% into it. You can't do it half time and expect something to come from it. So mm-hmm. do it 100% and just go with it. And so at the start of last year, 
I went in it full time and I've just been hustling been off all the, the way. Races since, huh? <laughs> So how how did you get linked up with Chris and where did she where did she come from? So actually she and I worked together when we were going to college, H E B actually. Oh nice. And okay. <laughs> uh, we uh, we stayed friends then and kinda, you know, I went to Oldfield, she went through her technology and sales piece and kinda just kept in touch and decided, awesome. Hey, we know each other. Let's <laughs> try it out i think that let's let's spend a moment on the on the making the leap because i think this is probably in the top probably two questions that at least i get all the time i'm sure colin gets it too how do you make the leap you know it's like hey i'm in my job i'm, I'm comfortable i've got kids i've got bills i've got a house how do you make the leap and i'm just going to be straightforward it's something that's very very hard to suggest anybody to do you know, for us, obviously, like we, we've, we've done it multiple times and we're just kind of, I guess, battle scarred and kind of like used to it. But the reality is it's like, you're, you're going to be living off your savings. You know, you're going to be living off of credit. You could potentially be taking out loans. You're going to put yourself in extreme financial stress at times, you know, for the hope that the venture does well. And then you can play catch up for the next year. And like your credit's probably terrible at this point. It could be like, that's the reality of it. And I think that's the side that nobody, everybody kind of knows is there, but nobody ever actually talks about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are you really about this life? Cause that's, that's what you got to go through. Yeah. I get some input from you, but I definitely, I get this question all the time and I just think about how much it beats you down and I'm like, I can't look someone in the eyes and tell them to, to do this. You know, you gotta, you know, it, it takes a, a special type of person to leave a, a good job, especially in the oil field, you know, where you make good salaries, good benefits, and it's extremely risky. I think it was David Ramson what on our show that said, if you look at it on a risk adjusted basis, we all make the same amount of money. You know, you, you can have a good job as an engineer or, you know, biologist or geologist whatever your trade is, making good money and you can make a good career out of that. Is it worth, you know, risking it all? But, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So give us, give us a little insight on how, you know, you made that jump. Obviously, you know, you played it pretty, you played it pretty well. You know, you got the business off running for a year with Kristen, right? Yeah. Okay. So Kristen's running it for a year. How, how much progress was she able to make in that time? Okay. Yeah. So I think that really did help. She had a steady client base that guaranteed me I would get some sort of salary. Mm -hmm. Not what I was accustomed to, but at least it gave me, you know, at least a little bit of safety net thinking, okay, well, I can probably cover my bills, you know, with the expectation that as we grew, there would be more opportunity. But I can tell you that, yeah, I decided I was going to do it and I was still worried every time. Hey, are we getting more work? Are we getting paid on time? You know, how's the business progressing? And that's, in the back of your head, you're still thinking about it. You know, first few months, did I do the right thing? You know, I left my job. Are we still on the right track? And it's it's that doubt, but it also motivates you to do and continue to keep pushing and trying to, you know, get the business to grow, get more clients. And so with time, it sort of starts fading. But that was nerve-wracking for the first few months, you know, going back and forth. Oh, my God. I love how you brought up getting paid on time because a lot of people don't take that into consideration. You can be doing everything right on your end, but getting, you know, actually getting paid on time or getting paid the amount that you're supposed to be paid is sometimes a 
Yeah, I think I think the other side of it is that looking at the context of like something like this with like bootstrapping this and going through the hardships, I think it creates that sense of urgency to where like I need to survive, and so you're in that survival mode, and you're just clawing your way to the top, you know, and you're just like I've got to make it, I've got to make it, and I think some of that is lost on maybe some startups who who either fortunately or unfortunately had the ability to raise a lot of money to where there's maybe not that sense of urgency or they didn't necessarily have to go through Mm -hmm. a super, you know, the dark times as we like to call it. And they kind of just go straight into coasting and go into growth mode. And it's like, I think that kind of hurts them later on. In in the long term. I think so. I mean, for us, I think that was a big motivator. I mean, mm-hmm. if we don't get new clients, we don't eat. That was sort of, you know, our back and forth. Like, hey, we got to pay bills. You know, this is the lifestyle we have. The only way that's going to grow or stay the way it is is if we're continuing to put 100% into what we're doing. So I want to dive into this relationship and this partnership with Kristen a little bit because this is interesting because just from how many people we have ask us how to make that jump and we talk about co-founders a lot. I don't think we've had anyone come on the show, at least hasn't talked about, you know, having a, you know, maybe you weren't in a position to leave, but you found a co-founder that was in a position to attack it right away. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of working together, one's full-time, one's part-time. So with Kristen though, she had no oil and gas experience. She came from a tech background. So I want to know, like, you know, she built up a steady clientele in this year to where you could come on full-time. You know, Kristen sounds like she was, she was doing a good job. So how were you kind of like orchestrating things behind the scenes and she's selling a product or service that she doesn't really know much about? Yes, very good question. It was a very steep learning curve for her on one. I think it was one, she was not afraid to go knock on doors, just start asking questions. Behind the scenes, I was telling her, okay, you need to go read this, watch this video, attend these SPE meetings to get more familiar with what we're doing. And then I helped her find someone in the Midland area because that's where most of the work was and someone that had a little bit more experience. And so she was able to get in the door, you know, talk about big picture. And then he was really able to be the one to kind of, you know, implement things on the field perspective of doing the testing. And I was just kind of advising her and saying, hey, yeah, that, that sounds good. No, you need to go talk to this person. And she was just kind of, okay, you know, I'll do this <laughs> and, and keep going. So obviously y'all's backgrounds are a little bit different than your friends and now your business partners. As far as like personality types, do you feel like you guys are, are quite similar or quite different or like a half and half? I was, I was thinking like the, the dynamics we've had, obviously Colin and I have been business partners for a while and then we've had a lot of other partners that have kind of come and gone and it, it's always kind of interesting to kind of analyze these relationships of like why things worked or why things didn't work. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I, I would say that we're, I would say we're more different than mm. similar. I think we have a, the same goal that we're trying to achieve. Absolutely. For me, it's like, hey, we just let's go get it done. You know, I'm more the I'll implement it. She's the one that's thinking through things. Okay, did you think about A, B, and C? Because I'm just like, hey, I want to do this. And mm-hmm. she's more putting thought through it. Uh, she's more of a listener. She kind of watches for cues with people or, you know, kind of is putting more thought behind things. And so I think that really balances us really well. She's also more active. She'll go knock on anybody's door, <laughs> you know, get get that business done versus I'm sort of like... You definitely, every team has to have a go-getter, right? Like you have to have that go-getter aspect to oh, yes. knock, knock down doors. So are you based here in Houston? Yeah, so we're based here in Houston. I would say all our work right now is actually in the Permian though. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you and every other company in this space <laughs> right now. 
Do you guys operate everything out of Houston or do you have operations? I mean, do you have like a field office or anything in Midland that you operate out of? Well, sort of. We actually bounce around because part of our business is we took the lab and we put it on wheels, as I like to say. So we can actually take the lab. You don't need to have a, a building anymore. We take it to where our clients are working. Really? So is it, is it literally like in a van or a truck? They're cargo trailers. We okay. outfitted them with equipment. So you go in there, we got running water, light, all kinds of different equipment in there. And so we take away that, oh, I got to run this to a building somewhere, you know, 100 miles away. From so the how, does, how does the testing process, like how does that work? I mean, is it like? too technical to where you can't tell about it right now or is it i mean a pretty keep in mind we know process. nothing about chemicals so yeah i mean in <laughs> layman's terms how does it work <laughs> yeah okay so normally what happens uh, just to give you a quick rundown is there's a lab you know either the chemical company owns it or the service provider but typically that's either in midland or houston almost all the time operations are 24 7 mm-hmm. so if they're having an issue on friday at 10 o'clock at night there really is no one you can call you can call your salesperson but there's nothing they can do till Monday. Yep. So what we decided was there are a lot of tests that can be done on site. Friction reducer, biggest product used. We found a way to build equipment that we could take to a location and just test it right there. And then 15 minutes, you know what your issue is. And that really changed the dynamics because then it doesn't matter if it's 10 o'clock at night, on Friday, Sunday morning, we can bring that out there to a location in an hour or two. And it can be there as long as you need it. Yeah. I mean, we've seen some other technology in the space where that's a barrier as well, where results have to be sent to a lab to be processed. And, you know, it can take a couple of weeks. And then there's other solutions that come in that can do it, you know, on premise and in a faster amount of time. So it's definitely a, an advantage. Is this something that you guys, are you keeping it on locations during like a a completions frack job or is it something that's just called as needed? It depends. We have some clients that call us as needed. They're trying to troubleshoot an issue that just came up. And then we have others where we're actually monitoring their entire frack operation. Mm -hmm. And that gives them a better idea. Okay, did what we choose as far as a chemical, is it working right? Are we treating our water right? And that's really making a difference for them. I always say, you know, we audit our safety programs. We should also be auditing our chemical and testing programs. Absolutely. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of data and insight to gain from that, you know, just from just from tracking and testing. I mean, even I was talking about this other day on Facebook, just from tracking your diet and your personal finances and whatever it may be, just tracking and testing is a great way to get data and insight. So it doesn't make sense. I mean, how much... What, what's a typical cost for chemicals on a frack job? Do you know? I mean, it's got to be it's, a lot of money. It's got to be probably at least 200000 yeah. or more. So the more the more insight that you have to if your chemicals are working mm-hmm. up to par, I think that you'd want to want to do the best job that you could. So it makes sense to have it on there 24-7 monitoring. Mm-hmm. How busy are you guys out there in the Permian? I mean, is it is it still rocking and rolling for y'all yeah it's uh it's picked up i think over the past year just because we decided hey, we're going to implement more equipment into them so we've got four units out in the permian right now and really our next step is actually now you have all this data what do you do with it and so we've launched a cloud database now you can really track your information oh, okay and access it from your phone or your computer awesome so are you guys all of this all this information is going into data lake you know into a database are you guys going to build out any type of platform for that for your users to where they can 
I don't want to like give any secrets to y'all's roadmap, but is that is that something that y'all are looking at doing in the future? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's been sort of the build out for us. You know, testing, you generate all this data. Now, how do we use that data to help our customers make better decisions? And so the idea is now we'll have a platform that we can start doing some analytics on it, look mm. at trends, help them identify KPIs and how they can improve their operations. And hopefully that translates to other people seeing the value of having access to that information. It's so cool that in 2019, like you can really take any business and turn it into a tech business because you can add analytics due to the thousands, if not millions of data points that you're collecting, you know, from your operation. So it's crazy to think like chemical analytics, like it's like chemical, it's downhole analytics for that, but just the value that it can be extracted well, from that should be a lot. You know, a problem that we see in the space that she just touched on is that you provide all of this uh, data, all of this insight, but then the end user still doesn't know what to do with it because it's, you know, it's unstructured. They don't really know what to make out of it. But then if you build the platform on top of that and it's got analytics layered over it, then you can start to make some sense from it as an mm -hmm. end user. So in turn, they're getting value out of it. They see the value out of it, so they continue to use your services. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Even it's also a cool play for you guys because now you have access to all of the data, and there's so much more insights that you – it makes you guys better and makes you better at you know, providing, you know, I guess, higher quality work to the EMPs and also to the chemical companies. And so really everybody kind of wins through data. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's where they're seeing the most value, honestly, just in the last couple months. It's been, hey, you guys are seeing all this in the field. You're learning. How are we improving? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's a benefit to really any any company out there. They're trying to improve efficiencies, ultimately production, and all of that ties in. The more information you have to make a more informed decision, the more successful the implementation of anything you're doing is going to be. Mm-hmm. How was the adoption of y'all's consulting and services in the early stages back when Kristen was running it was, were people pretty receptive to it? Were they, you know, is this, are you guys, is this a new model in the space? Like, are there a lot of competitors? Um, I don't, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. So I think the uptake was very slow at the beginning, to be honest, because everyone had sort of relied on what they had. And now the belief was, well, the chemicals are pumping. It's really easy. There's not much testing involved with it. That sort of became the mentality. You know, 10 years ago, they were running a lot more chemicals. There was a lot more testing needed. And then as that went away, everyone just assumed, I don't need to be doing all this extra work. But what has happened really has been, hey, we're still having issues in the field. So you know, what are we missing? And so that education, that uphill battle of trying to educate people as to why there's value, that took a long time. And it, it was up until probably the early last year where we started making some headway with understanding, look, here's the data. Now we can show you we just saved you 30% on your chemical costs mm. because we were able to tell you right here, right now, how to change your program instead of at the end when you've already used all that extra chemical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such an easy value proposition. If you can show hard data like, hey, we're saving you 10, 20, 30 percent on mm -hmm. chemical costs over the course of this frack job just by testing, then it's a no brainer to use you guys, right? Yeah. And that was part of we had to get enough data to be able to create that <laughs> story. It's kind of a chicken and egg <laughs> situation. You know, you need the data to create that story, but you also need the clients to <laughs> give you a chance to get that data. So I think that's the uh, paradox that every startup experiences but you know if you can just make it through those early barriers and get that data then you're you're good as long as your product or service is good 
<laughs> it's a major, yeah, it's a major factor. There. <laughs> so what are some of the goals that you guys have, you know, moving forward, you know, moving forward through 2019, 2020? Obviously, I think the Permian will probably be a big focus for y'all. Do y'all plan on going anywhere else, you know, up in Denver area, Colorado area? Yeah, that's that's the goal. To be honest, it's been waiting for that strategic opportunity. We've had, you know, calls, hey, can you come to Oklahoma? But, you know, as a company that's, you know, we're bootstrapping everything. We're trying to be strategic as to, okay, where's, where's the best growth opportunity? We really have to look at the long-term potential with those clients as well. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're slowly building that and then adding some in-house technology, right? And understanding what do we have that's not available anywhere else. But we'd like to expand Obviously, the Texas operation, we saw the Eagleford we can tackle, again, uh, into Oklahoma, areas where we're still within our, our range where yeah. we know we can execute well. Yeah. Speaking on bootstrapping, is that is that the strategy moving forward? Do you think you guys will always bootstrap or do you think you'll ever take on investors? You know, what's, what's your strategy there? I'm going to put you on the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I think we will bootstrap it as long as we can. You know, our experience has been when you start taking on investors, you're going to be giving up a portion of your company. Mm-hmm. And the more you work on it on your own, you realize how much value you brought in. So it's very hard to say, well, I'm going to give somebody else a piece of this business, knowing what we put in to yeah. just get it working. It also, it also, inhibits your ability to execute fast, make decisions fast. You know, there's a lot that comes on with taking investments. And I think a lot of people, you know, obviously if you can bootstrap, bootstrapping is the way to go. If you can grow within cash flow, a lot of people, you know, like to look at starting with an investment first. But so let's, let's talk about that. How did you guys, you know, did you finance these trailers did you finance them yourself or how'd you go about doing that so the honestly the work started being done in the back of a pickup truck nice i, I love it i start, love it <laughs> start simple right i mean you just need the tools to start doing the work that is how we got started you had steady work steady income now you can start buying and updating and so i think it took about nine months and then we we're able to get the first mobile lab built out and then from there, it, it was easier because now you already had established business. Humble beginnings, right? Oh, yes. I love it. <laughs> Start small, scale fast. So if you see someone pull up in the back, you know, pull up the location, they got a laboratory in the back of their truck, you know they mean business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, rain or shine. Yep. <laughs> so what are some of, you know, what are some of the challenges that, that, you've seen with this model or, you know, you you kind of touched base on adoption, you know, slow. What are, what are some other things that you, that you see that are challenges? Honestly, personnel. And that seems to be a a big thing among businesses, particularly if it's a service in the Permian, it's very competitive to, Mm -hmm. you know, between companies. And for us, it's, you know, as I always say, what we're doing because it's consulting, you have to have a higher degree of experience and understanding of that. And so finding qualified people continues to be a challenge for us. You know, as Absolutely. we grow, we're going to require more people. Yeah. Yeah, it's always tough, especially in the Permian. Took Jake and I, we went out to Midland, I don't know, what, two months ago? And, you know, it's just typical Midland. Even when you go to restaurants or wherever, it's it's hard to get good service. You know, personnel's always a challenge, yeah. so very competitive. That's mm-hmm. that, you know, I'd... I think I quit I quit my job at Capitan and I had a job the next day. You know, it's that it's that competitive. So I don't know anywhere else in the world. Hey, where you was hiring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. Oh yeah. So before we wrap this up, where can people find 
you what is it geochemica.com is that the website yep geochemica.com and we're pretty active on linkedin we try to keep everyone updated with either new technologies or for having new presentations at conferences and all of that okay so they can find you personally on linkedin and then your company page on linkedin yes they can awesome so we put all the links in the show notes so you guys can see that yeah yeah if you're an emp company or a chemical company or who else is that the only customers service providers service providers reach out she's pretty friendly i think she'll help you out yeah we'll put that in the show notes jake anything else am i missing something no just thanks for coming you educated us on chemicals i feel like i know a lot more about like the entire space now i'm an expert we've we've paid for them and we've used them and we know why we're (laughs) using them but that's really where the buck stops i mean i'm gonna be honest with you i have to start testing them now (laughs) (laughs) hey that's the way it works thank you for coming on thank you for taking the time jake Anything else before before we go? Be good? Nope. Thanks again for listening to you know, the latest episode. But once again, thank you for all of your all's support. If you got two seconds, if you want to leave a, a little rating review or send it in your colleagues, maybe do you know send all to all of the corporate emails in, at your company, especially if you're a large one. That'd be kind of cool. But if not, we will catch you guys on the next episode. Come, 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 come.